Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Everlasting to everlasting, Lord. That's who you are seated on the throne. All seeing, all knowing, all powerful. Thank you, Lord. Even today, even the beginning of this new week, the month, you are there. You have seen the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month. You've seen it all. Therefore, our confidence, our trust is in you, Lord. You are the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. There is none beside thee, Lord. So we surrender this day into thy hands. Everyone, every post, Lord, be with them. Go with them. Go before us, Lord, each one of us. Even now, Lord, as we look into your word, I praise you will receive strength and courage and boldness and hope and comfort. That's what your word gives, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Continue to send forth your word and heal your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll go to Revelation chapter 1. From verse 13 to 15. You're actually looking at words uh, 14 and 15 today. So he turned to look at, hear that voice, look back, and then he sees in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Okay, so please remember Revelation 1 3. The revelation of one says of Jesus and one three says, what is that we get when we read the revelation, when we hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Okay, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the whole Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And specifically coming to this final book, he says, Blessed is he first who reads. And that's okay. We understand the fact that majority of, or I don't know whether it is majority, but a huge chunk of the population in the world cannot read. Cannot read. And a huge chunk of the people who can read do not read. Which is true. When you talk to people immediately, the first thing that you know is that they are unread. They are unread. Conversation is is something that shows you whether you are read or unread. Okay, it shows you. Okay, so that's why God also encourages read, or if you cannot read, observe, listen, watch, observe. Okay, so and when it comes to other books, and then the book, even if you do not have the time to read other books, even if you read the book, at least you will know that you have read it. And then it talks about hearing. But ultimately, remember, whatever you read is should be of one of these two ultimately, by the creator and his creation. And our interpretation of both can go completely wrong. That's why the final revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the ultimate. And when we come to words 14 and 15, we will see him. Okay, His head and hair 
Now he had heard the voice, he looked around, he saw somebody standing there, midst of seven lampstands, we saw the lampstands of other churches. Now we have a depiction of Jesus Christ. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. This is actually the first time we have a picture of Jesus, which is so different from the picture painted by the suffering Messiah in Isaiah 53, 1-3. We have a picture. In the New Covenant, understand, we have no picture of Jesus Christ. We do not know what he looks like. We don't know whether he's tall, he's short, his hair, his eyes, all are movies made, but we have no clue what he looks like. The only picture we have of Jesus when he walked on earth is a prophetic picture of his suffering, especially his last day on the cross. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of, of by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This is the only picture other than the revelation of some pictures in little word pictures Daniel gives us. This is the first picture we have of Jesus Christ. But again, remember, even that picture in uh, Revelation 14, 1, 14 and 15, it's also more symbolic. Okay, There are symbols that are being used to describe the eternal God to mortal man. We need to understand why it is so difficult to describe God because the Bible says in the book of Romans, the whole of creation is displaying the glory of God. So the whole creation... Seen and unseen is just a minute depiction of who he is. So we cannot actually have a picture of God. Cannot. And even if we see him, we will not be able to comprehend him. We will not be able to comprehend him. And here we have a picture, Jesus, in symbols to describe his glory. And if you look at that, Apostle John will use the word like, L-I-K-E, like there, his head. And his hair were white like. He will use it five times. And the word as. Okay. Okay. As white as. Okay. Like and as. Okay. Describing meaning. This is not who he is. But this is the closest in human comprehension I can compare. It's all I compare. Uh, all I come now. Like when we talk about wise as wise as Solomon. When you talk about righteousness, the three people God talk about, even Noah, Daniel, and Job, and it talks about righteous, as righteous as this. So these are comparisons which is being used. So that's how it is being. So we can never literally paint a picture of God. We can only use symbols to describe him. Though he is unchanging. 
See, it's usually easier to depict a picture of something or somebody who is unchanging. Because for us, from our babyhood to our old age, we are changing. So the pictures we put across, like you know, my kids know, from the time they were born and brought out, all the way to the eldest daughter's yesterday's picture, there is a whole picture and you look at them changing. God is unchanging. Yet we cannot have in this thing. So that's why we need to understand about him. And so the first thing that is described is actually is his voice. His voice as loud as a trumpet and then again his voice as the sound of many waters. So two different aspects of his voice. One, it's loud. And then his voice has the sound of many waters. It is not talking about the, the loudness of his voice. It is the majesty of his voice. Okay, it's not the same. So we need to understand. But we need to dwell on, yesterday also somebody wrote to me saying, can you recommend to me something so that I can meditate upon the majesty of God? On the majesty of God. I would say the book of Revelation. This is the majesty because we can understand God only through Jesus. He is the exact representation of God. So here, the first thing after the voice, what is mentioned is head and hair were white like wool. In Daniel chapter 7, it is describing God the Father. Yeah? No, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. I watched till the thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool and his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. These are all symbols. This is God, the Father, the ancient of days. These are all terms that is used to signify to us who is caught in time that God is everlasting to everlasting. So two words are used in our vocabulary. This is a very absolutely biblical term which you will never find anywhere. This term ancient of days. One is ancient, the other is days. Both symbolic of time. Ancient of days. Because this is what is his and his hair of his head was like pure wool. Okay, now that term is being applied to Jesus. What is about the Father is about Jesus. Okay, well, if you look at that words, if you go back, you know, here it is white like wool, white as snow. If you go back to seven nine Daniel seven nine, what we see there, the first thing it is talking about is. The hair of his head was like pure wool. So there is a word over there called pure. So it's depicting the... I mean, we, we don't even... We, I, I heard about a, a husband calling out to his wife because it had snowed and there were birds outside. So he asked his wife to throw some popcorn out for the birds. And then he called her and he said, did you look at the popcorn? It's looking yellow in the snow. Now the popcorn is usually white, but in contrasting it to the snow, what does white look like? Yellow. Okay, so that is what it's depicting. Like when we, that's what we need to understand. I still remember. 
have shared this testimony of one of my old old friends when I was at Iflo. And she was an extremely righteous lady who came from a Tamil Brahmin family. And she loved Jesus. She had loved Jesus from school. But for her to commit herself completely to Christ was a very difficult thing. And uh, the issue was with righteousness. Because when Jesus says, I have come to save the sinners and all have sinned, she had an issue because her, her said, James, my struggle was always with this because I have never sinned. And I said, you mean you have always obeyed your parents? She said, always. You're never rebelled, never. Never lied, never lied. Never a thought? No. Never. Then I said, then how did you come to the Lord? He said, my struggle was always this. And she said, one night the Lord gave me a dream, a vision, where I saw myself in contrast to Christ. When I saw his righteousness, his purity, his holiness, and myself, he said, I was like, like it was like between night and day. That's when I realized he is the Savior. So when we are talking about the hair, Okay, when he's talking about his head and his hair, because no, that is the first part of a person you see, you see the head. And it's talking about his holiness, his purity, and his righteousness. We will use scripture. We used one scripture. Now we'll use another scripture to interpret scripture. Isaiah, verse 180, when he's coming to us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is the contrast. When we come to him, we are sinners. And this is our color. And God says, even though they are like that, deserving of judgment, when I have cleansed you and imputed you with my righteousness, this is how you will look white has no and they shall be like wool so we need to understand when it is describing god's head and his hair what is it talking about it is talking about his holiness his purity his righteousness and when we come to mark chapter 9 and verse 2 to 3 if i'm right now after six days Jesus took Peter, James and John, led them upon a high mountain apart from themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no snow launderer on earth can whiten them. So again it is talking about the transfiguration, his glory. Okay, white, exceedingly white like snow. Now we need to understand, this is not talking, if you, if I mean, Pastor Vijay has been, ah, most of us sitting here, in, incidentally, has been in snowy places, no? Snow is one thing, but when the sun falls on the snow, you need to wear goggles, otherwise it will burn your eyes. It's blazing white, it's a different white altogether, okay? It is not like a mirror. See, the mirror when it's reflecting is different. The sun in its glory falling upon the snow is different. That's what he's talking about. He's shining white, okay? Shining, glorious white, okay? Also, that whiteness, like we saw, is representing what we call antiquity. Ancient of days, everlasting to everlasting, okay? Go to Proverbs 16 and verse 31. The silver-haired head 
is a crown of glory. If it is found in the way of righteousness, because everybody's hair will ultimately become silver, that doesn't become become glory. If that person has been walking in the way of righteousness, that hair is a crown of glory. So it is also talking about righteousness and glory and age and wisdom. All these things are represented that by that one line, okay, his head and his hair, okay? Like I said, it is not a dull white. It is a glowing, blazing white. There's only another place in scriptures where it is comparable. If you go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, we have another description of our... We need to know because you know what? They will say in English, a picture is worth a thousand words. But those thousand words can be lies. That's the problem with pictures, you know, because if you, the, the, the problem, like when we, when uh, my kids were small growing up, I always used to tell them, I will let you restrict it to watch, but I will always tell you to read. The problem is when you watch, somebody has imagined it for you. Imagination is one of the most powerful facets which God has given us. Okay, because if you don't have it, no, we are not talking about vain imaginations like in Corinthians. We are talking about the power to dream, the power to see, the power to visualize. That's all artists in any form. They are people who imagine. And God is imagines, he sees and he calls it into being. And we have been created like that. We imagine, we see, and the painter paints, the writer writes, the person speaks, or the architect, the engineers, all of them have to imagine. Even a surgeon, before he goes to surgery, is imagining how he's going to go through it. And nobody else has that capacity except we who have been made. So you will see pictures, our minds have been marred by the movies we have depicted. We don't blame them. When a white man makes a movie about Jesus, he is correlating to his imagination and he's looking at a Jew and he has to pick, but that is not picking a Jew, he's picking a white man with blue eyes and long hair and golden hair and all. But uh, we don't know what Jesus looked like and it, it's irrelevant what he looked like. If you look at read Isaiah 53, when he walked on earth, his human form, that is why I have an issue, I mean, Earlier I was like, when I started thinking, meditating upon this thing, when people go and get very sentimental in Israel, this Israel visits and all, and I look at that's just religion, that's not faith. Because the same thing will people, if you go there, will see one nail of Buddha, one tooth of Buddha over here, and Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, they fight over it, shed blood, because Muhammad is supposed to have ascended on a horse back. These are all sentimental things which have no meaning, because because that is not who he is. This is who he is. This is who he really is. Okay? Okay? That's what Paul comes. That's what that is when he says, I no longer want to know him in the flesh. I don't no longer want him. No? So all those are very sentimental things. Okay, it has its own value. But the fact is, like, you know, man, all married people here. One, two, three, four. And the fifth one is on the way. Okay? I'm telling to the fifth one. Give it a couple of weeks or a month of your marriage. It will not matter how your spouse looks like. It's only the person who matters. You like or dislike. Could be the most handsome man, the most good-looking woman. It will become irrelevant. 
Otherwise, Hollywood celebrities shouldn't be divorcing so many times. Why? Why? Because the looks don't matter. It is the person. So what we are being described here is the person of Jesus Christ, not his looks. The personality. We are so caught up. The devil has created a false world which is all looks and outward with no personality. It's fake. God is creating man, created man with his personality and now he's recreating us in his personality and creating a new universe in his personality. And here is a person. We know the person, we understand his creation. This is the person who see, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat on him was, first it's not describing what he looks like. It's talking about his person, his faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew. Now if you look here, in the first vision when he sees, there are no crowns. He's seeing him, his head and his hair white. But later vision, when he's coming for war, he's coming as a king. And he's coming as a Jehoah Shabbat, the captain of the host. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe dripped in blood. The robe has changed. So it doesn't mean like Modi, he's keep on changing his garments. That is not what it means. It is talking about something else. There what you see him, it's a different dispensation. He's doing or revealing something else. Here he's coming for war. He's coming to judge his enemies. Therefore, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Don't ever imagine that is a literal thing. He's not wearing a robe dipped in blood. It's gruesome. That's not what he's talking about. It is talking about what he will actually do. And his name is called the word of God. So you have a picture of Jesus Christ over there. These are the two pictures. So we are not looking at the outward person. We are being revealed. a revelation of Jesus Christ and his personality. Personality. It is the personality of Jesus Christ that is being revealed over here. If you want to go further down, he talks about the armies in heaven. They are also, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the actual picture of Jesus Christ. But this is describing him as a person. And please remember, this revelation is being given to the last surviving apostle when the church is going through an incredibly difficult phase, unbelievable persecution under the Roman reign. And when you go through like that, usually you feel God is so far away and God is not in control and the enemy seems to be like trampling over God's people. And the apostle is given the vision and told it to write and send it to the churches so that they will know it doesn't matter what you feel, God is in control. But everything is moving in his timeline. His control of all events and what he's seen, what is revealed is the the what you call the glory 
of Jesus Christ. So there is our great man, Apostle John, the last surviving apostle in a little rocky island called Patmos, probably in a cave. They say if you go on a tourist visit to Patmos, the guide will take you and say, this is the little cave in which he lived and this is where he saw the vision. Okay, overlooking the Aegean Sea. There he is. Okay, and now you need to see the difference. God doesn't speak the same way to all his servants. We saw yesterday on Mount Horeb in a cave when Elijah came and he came out. God did not speak him in a loud voice, a shouting voice like thunder or anything or a trumpet. He spoke to him in a whisper because this is a very faithful servant who is at the breaking point. Okay, breaking point. So that's what he says. A bruised reed he will not break. Okay, so he whispers to him. Very gently whispers. I commend you. I'm not against you. I'm not mad at you. I understand. I understand the frailty. But you've been faithful. You've been good. So whispers to him. Here is another faithful servant. But he's not at a breaking point. Even in spite of everything, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then God is going to give a revelation of the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. So he speaks to him in a loud voice, like a trumpet. Okay, That's where you see. And he's encouraging and comforting them because he sees him in the middle of seven lampstands and it represents the churches. He's saying it doesn't matter what the churches feel down on earth. I'm always in their midst. You have to believe if two or three gather in my name, I am in your midst. Lo, I am with you till the end. I will not leave you orphans. So you have two pictures. One, the picture of the Holy Spirit in control with God's children in the church always and in heaven, Jesus in the midst of the churches. That history is in his control. Now when you go back further, go back to verse 14, Revelation 1, 14. The next thing that is described after his head is his eyes. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Okay? A flame. It's an all-seeing, penetrating ice. We know fire burns, fire purges, fire reveals, and fire purifies, and fire consumes. Fire does so many things, okay? Fire does so many things. And that's where we see his eyes. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it talks about there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing, nothing is hidden. You know, when you when you go through the airport, you know, you put your stuff like last time. It was so funny. I was coming from Chennai. David and I went to um, Decathlon. He said, "PJ, what do you want?" I looked around. I said, "What do I want? I don't want." It. Finally, what did I do? I picked up for ninety rupees a skipping rope. I had no check-in luggage, so I had just this, and I put it. It went. Boop, boop, boop. 
what happened those eyes saw it and he said sir sorry skipping rope is not allowed took it went to the back now if there is no x ray you won't see it right so now medically you know radiology you have x ray they are not satisfied with it they will say ct scan they still not satisfied with that the tiger mri scan what is it each one of these scans is revealing things the previous cannot scan can show what the normal eye cannot see the x ray shows what the x ray cannot see ct scan shows what ct scan mri scans goes and what none of these things can see god sees everything so when that word naked is used you need to realize what the naked eye cannot see x-ray scan see and the naked eye is looking at and have been trained they have been trained see those people who said that everybody don't they have been trained how to distinguish items a trained eye but this machine and think about god when it says all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account these are the eyes these are the eyes of him these are the eyes of him Matthew 9 and verse 4 And Jesus knowing their thoughts why do you think evil in your hearts now let me ask you this question thoughts cannot be touched it is not material but he can see thoughts he can see thoughts he can he is not hearing thoughts he is seeing our thoughts he can see our thoughts knowing their thoughts now we don't have to say for the enemy he has to hear us he cannot see our thoughts he can put a thought in our head and make us think and then he can assume we gone that route but he cannot read our thoughts he does not have that capacity but god can see our thoughts even before we say he can see our thought in john 147 and 48 jesus saw nathanael coming toward him and said behold an israelite indeed in whom is no deceit how did he see he could see a man okay and nathanael said how do you know me how do you know me now when he is asking how do you know me he is talking about how did you judge my character i have never seen you before I've never seen you before. I don't remember ever meeting you or talking to you. But how did you make a judgment about me? And Jesus said, "Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Okay? And I saw you and I saw you right through. And I said, you know what? This man speaks what is in his heart and there is no deceit in it. There's nothing fake about this guy." Okay and you know the same thing would happen when Jesus and the two angels comes to Abraham's house and they eat and everything and then when he talks about Sarah having a baby the bible says Sarah laughed and just said why did Sarah laugh she said i didn't she said you did you did i heard you mean she no so that's what we need to realize that's why it's a very sobering thing that like connected with Sarah that when we are in church and when the message is going on and even though everybody sits quietly god is able to see every individual's reaction in their mind and their heart their response to the word he's able to see he sees it 
It's a very sobering thought. He sees our responses and he sees where there is faith and where there is no faith. Those who believe and those who don't believe, those who scoff, those who don't scoff, he's able to see it all. Nothing escapes his eyes. That's what's being described over there. You know, in Luke 22 and verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He didn't say a word. He just looked at him. Looked at him. Okay. Our lies. Okay. Our hypocrisy. Our truth. Our deceit. Our everything. He sees it all. And he still loves us. That's the point. That's the point. He still loves us. We can't. We see some. We get upset and this thing. That is what it means to have the heart of God. To have the heart of God is to be able to love people in spite. Because you know, for us, especially like us, we are shepherds, and because we are shepherds, we are privy to a lot of personal information of the sheep which other people sometimes their own spouses their own children their own parents do not know we know and how to be able to love them through it all is interesting like you know the last week i mean i mean this is not flattering i mean sometimes it's comforting for you also personally like abel and priyanka came they came and they're sitting and abel wanted me to talk to the pastor of the church which they are going to on ages past i said oh i have heard about him He's a good guy, I said. So he connected and the pastor. So I just talked to him for two minutes. And said, I said, yeah, these are good kids. Been there as children, taken care of them, married children. And they're very talented. The first thing he said, he said, Pastor, when I listen to you, you are a shepherd and you know your sheep and you love them. I'm really grateful to you for mentoring. It's your loss, my gain. Okay. Now think about Jesus. He knows everything about us. There's nothing hidden from his eyes. And you know what? He loves us. His eyes sees it all. And he loves us. In Revelation 19, we saw in verse 12, if I'm right, 19, 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now he's coming to judge. See, when he's coming to judge, nothing will be missed. Everything will be revealed. He's not coming against his people. He's coming against his enemies. His judgment will be so total and complete that there will be nothing left to judge. His eyes sees it all. Okay, that's how we have to see it. Okay, in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine and eleven, the Bible says it is before Him that we will have to stand. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, knowing, therefore, the completeness in which God sees us. 
we may think he is absent, but he is ever present. Okay, whether we are spiritually absent or from the Lord, he is always present. So knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. What is the terror of the Lord? It is the, the, the I mean, the, not words, the completeness in which the judgment will take place. From the day we were not born, born again, till the day we reach his presence, everything will be screened. Complete, total. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So understand what that word's eyes mean. If you go to Proverbs 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good will say, oh, what is the point in doing good, good? God says, don't grow weary in doing good. Everything is seen. Everything is remembered. Everything is recorded. Not one. That's why I pick up the fragments. Not one little thing. He says, even if you give a cup of water. Now, how many cups of water we have given, we have forgotten it all. We can't even remember the last one we gave a cup of water, but God remembers. Because his eyes are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And about the fire, First Corinthians chapter 3, 12 to 14. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. Revealed and his eyes are like fire. And fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, it's like remember Pastor Vijay's testimony about his um, PhD first paper. We used to, I was, we forgot for literature, we had to present your first thing, you know, which is true. He says he thought it was perfect, but when it came, it was full of red. Because his eyes and the exam, that is a different eye. Examiner's eyes is different. Okay. Now, students, even maybe also like invigilators, that's the same. Students will come and say, I wrote correctly. I said, really? Come and sit here. I didn't mark it. Now we'll take my reading. Okay. I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to discourage you. So I didn't put. Now you sit here. One page alone I will do it. Sit here. Talk, 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 talk. talk. Okay, sir. <laughs> okay. Okay, sir. So that's what he's talking about. We build and we build and we build. That's why I tell yesterday also. We are so interested in the ministry. God is interested in the minister. The person we become. Because why? If you're focused on the work alone, every work will be tested through fire. But if the person has come through the fire, his work will also be like that. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. What is testing it? The fire and his eyes. eyes. Proverbs 20 and verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Okay, this is Jesus the King. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who sits on the throne of judgment. 
and he will scatter all evil with his. When Solomon are all writing this, they didn't even understand what they were writing. Okay, so the eyes of God sees. One more comforting, very familiar word, Second Chronicles sixteen nine. We're looking at the eyes of God, you no? Know, because eyes matter, you know. Instead of putting color and mascara and eyeshadow and all, we should look at the eyes of the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Okay, meaning His eyes is able to see. Whose heart is lost. There are two kinds of loyalties. The loyalty that is false. Outwardly. That is Ajit Pawar. We saw yesterday. No? All yes. this. Okay. I mean, the, I mean, we should put our heads down in shame because just some weeks back, the Prime Minister was in rallies talking about the corruption of NCP and Ajit Pawar, this many crores. And they talk and he says to deal against corruption, Modi and then everybody has been taken into his party. His party is now full of every corrupt person in every other party they have taken. How they will talk and how they will do things, you know. But God's loyalty outwardly and there is loyalty inward. The inward loyalty is what God is looking for. Okay. So when Elijah buckles under pressure and runs, he's not disloyal. He's, not, he's still loyal. Okay, he's still. And that's why we will look at, we have used this term so many times. So many people in the Bible says, I have sinned. But only one man we know who is forgiven. Because God is looking at his heart and says, you know what, he's loyal. And he means what he says. And his eye is able to see that. Which we will not, we will look at, ah, this fellow, look at him, murderer, liar, cheat, adulterer, throw him out. God says, no, you don't know him. You don't know him. Your judgment is wrong. That kid is loyal. Okay? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf. So we need to realize, God sees, because a lot of people will say, nobody sees, nobody understands. God says, I see. I see. I understand. He says, I see. I understand. So the first picture we see about Jesus, with, before whom we will stand, and then later with whom we will dwell forever. His head and his hair is white as wool. Ancient of days, the glory, the purity, the holiness, the righteousness. And he says, this is how I want you to be. The next thing we see is his eyes. It is a progression. First we are seeing the holiness of God. And then the eyes. He says, if you are able to live before my eyes, this is how you will become. The only way you can become like me, that you learn to live before my eyes. That's what he is telling Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1. Walk before me. That's the only way. If you're walking before somebody, what does it mean? Abraham was 99 years old. Okay. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, and said, I am Almighty God. Walk. When you're walking before somebody, it means that person who's behind you, his eyes are on you. That's what it means. That's the only way you can look. And it's a fearful thing. But we have to learn to walk before him without fearing. 
that he is not coming here to judge me. He is not judging in the sense of condemning me. He is coming here to help me see that he will be able to see. That is, that is our basic issue is with submission. We saw yesterday man's basic submission. What is basically submission? Submission is basically being open to somebody else's judgment and correction. And Cain is refuses. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And he walks away from the presence of God. Hagar has an issue with submission. If she had not despised, that means she is unsubmissive, Sarah would not be harsh. And when Sarah is harsh, she flees away from the presence of God. Cain goes away from the presence of God. So that's what it, God is talking about. Okay, Submission basically means I am willing to receive somebody else's judgment upon my life, somebody that has been placed above me. Man, Christ has been placed above every man. He is willing to walk before his eyes and be blamed. Lord, correct me. Lord, correct me. Lord, correct me. My walk, my talk, my thoughts, correct me. And the wife is asked to look before her husband. Wives, submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. Meaning, why? Because he is washing her by the water of the word to make her pure, holy. I mean, men have to understand that is my purpose. But men has to realize, first, I have to learn to walk before God and understand God's purpose for me. So it works that way. And children have to learn to walk before their parents. So everybody is walking before somebody and Jesus is walking before his father. And father is all in all. Okay. So we need to understand what eyes mean. What does it mean? His eyes. Okay. From there we go to verse 15. Verse 15. In verse 15, from there, his head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now from there, suddenly you remember, previous words is a whole garment from here down all the way. It's a garment that covers till his feet with a huge golden sash, unlike threads in the high priest, full around his chest. And then the next thing you see is only the feet. Okay? Only the feet. And when it comes to the feet, the Bible says, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Okay, now the feet is, okay, it's not what kind of brass refined in a furnace, it is it's it's glowing. Okay, pure glowing bronze. Now you need to realize it is called brass. And from biblical, we are not going out into the world, we are always trying to we may use illustration which may agree with the word, but we always using scripture to interpret scripture. And we know from the old covenant, the tabernacle, the temple, bronze, all the things in the outside court, not in the holy place. Because by the time you have crossed from here to there, the metal changes. Metal changes. Well, when it comes to the carnal man, when you come from top to bottom in time, the metal changes. Is because so we are not getting better. We look at technology, we look at our creations, and we think civilization is getting better. No, it's not getting better. It's getting worse because it was as gold, and it becomes silver, it becomes brass, and becomes iron, and becomes iron and clay. It's not getting better. It is getting worse. It is getting worse and worse and worse. It's talking about character. But when it comes to 
God's temple, his people, you will realize what happens is outer courts is all got to do with judgment. Everything has got to do with judgment. The sacrifices, the labor, everything is brass. Everything is brass. Okay? So you see his feet. Now, his feet, you have to realize there are two applications over here. Okay? Feet represents two things. One, it represents judgment. The other represents authority. Feet. Both. Okay? So personally, when you are talking about the feet of Jesus Christ, like, no, when when we see the feet of Jesus Christ in heaven, you realize this is the feet of him who, if we want to give you Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. 4. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. What does it mean? He brought every sin under judgment in his life. Sin never ever ruled over him in any aspect. Okay. Fit is judgment. So he first judged himself. He prevailed over every sin. He was tempted at all points, but he learned to bring every sin under his feet. Therefore, he was without sin. For there is first, there is sin, and second, there is the tempter. So you will see that he brought every power of darkness under his feet. Okay, there is the tempter and there is sin. So you look at his feet, you will see that's what he says, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy in Luke 10, 19. You shall trample. Okay, that's with your feet. He's not saying you shall cut with your hand. He says you shall trample the feet. So when you look at Jesus, there are two things he actually does in his life. He tramples sin and he tramples the powers of darkness. And he says ultimately, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet. So it talks about, you see, our authority in the kingdom of God, in God's sight, is proportional to our judgment. Authority. Not bef before man. That can be a gift also. You see somebody wave a hand, ten people fall, you will think he's a man with great authority. No, he had a gift, which is a power. We are not talking about that. We are talking about a person who has authority to speak to God. Speak to God. So you will see the progression in Moses' life. Moses is able to speak to God. God is able to speak to him face to face because he has trampled over the sin in his life and therefore is able to speak to God. And Jesus was the only man who trampled every sin and every temptation. Therefore, he says, my father always hears me. I have authority to speak to him. That is what is represented by the feet. It is judgment and it is authority. Okay? Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. Okay, understand feet. And ultimately what he will do, he will trample out all rebellion. There are two parts of his ministry. Simultaneously he is doing two things, okay? Both are with, with, are. First, through the cross, 
He's reconciling all of creation that can be reconciled. And second, with his feet, he will trample out all rebellion till the end. Both are happening. Reconciliation is taking place on one side, that through the cross. And the cross itself is a picture of reconciliation and judgment. On the cross, God judged sin. And if you do not receive it and be reconciled to God, he will judge you for your sin. So, cross is a picture of reconciliation and the end of all rebellion. So, through his son, he is reconciling all of creation. And through his son, he will judge all of creation. It's both in him. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verses 24 to 27, this is what he's talking about. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. How? When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Right now Satan is like a running rampant over the world and all the fellows who have been deceived by him thinking they are cats whiskers. They have no clue what is coming. He will put an end to all rule, all authority and power. How? For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And what is the picture of the feet we see? Like burnished brass. Okay? And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Who is that? God. God is using his son to bring everything under his feet. That does not mean God the Father is under the son's feet other than him. Everything will be under him. Which this here it means, that's what I said, it has two meanings. One, it is judgment, the other is authority. That's why he says, all authority in heaven and earth is being given to me. That means under his feet. So, the final thing, and you, will, you need to realize, as a man of God who has written about the 20 judgments of God, of which most is over, and there are many left. And the book of Revelation is a series of judgment. The first judgment begins in heaven, when Satan and one third are thrown out, and they create a fake heaven called second heaven. Okay, the next judgment we see is, in the Bible we see, is the judgment of Noah's time. The third judgment localized we see is Sodom and Gomorrah. And judgments are going on nations after nations. And we see judgments going on. And the book of Revelation is a set of judgments. And the final will be what we saw just read. Revelation 20 verse 14 and 15. The final judgment of Jesus Christ. Then death and Hades. Hades means basically the underworld, the grave. We're cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is, that's why, Revelation 20, last words is verse 15, that is the end of all judgment. And when Revelation 21 begins, it's a new heavens and a new judgment is over. So it is in many, many phases. Until he brings everything under his feet, he has to reign. And the last enemy is death. And you see the judgment of death. And the place where the dead go. Both are thrown. Please remember, everything is spiritual. 
That's where the Bible says the things, if we saw that yesterday, the things that we see are not real. They're temporary. What we do not see as real. See, for us, death, we do not see. But death is real. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that swallows. Grave is a spirit that swallows because you need to realize if death is not a spirit, how does it take a soul? Because the soul is a spirit. Soul is not a body. The body goes to the grave, rots and goes. What happens to the soul? How can it be death? So a spirit is catching a spirit. So death is a spirit. Hades is also a spiritual place. Until we reach over there, like the best example we can do is when you go to these places and you put on that whole thing, goggles and see a 4D thing. When you see the 4D thing or a 3D movie, it looks so real, but when you take it off, there is nothing there. But when it was there, it was absolutely real, though you couldn't touch it. Okay. And yet, in some of these 4D things, they will put you, I remember which place, I think it was in Singapore, where you have this western and I was, and you had these guns and you could try to shoot, shoot, and it is as if actually you are shooting and you can see your target this thing. But when it's taken out there, there is no horse, you are sitting on a horse, it is going on horse mini, <laughs> uh, plastic one. But it looked so real. Virtual reality. But when we reach there, we will realize virtual reality was actually real. It was real. So this is real. So this is the last enemy which will be brought under his feet. But now, going to First Peter chapter 4, 7. We need to understand First Peter 4, 7. Because feet, like I said, oh. 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4 6, 7, uh, 17. Always will miss one digit. Still in math, I am bad. For time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So you need to realize, constantly, we are the house of God. Constantly, God is judging us. God is constantly judging us. In a way, that's, that's why Esther, go back there to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, words 1 to 5. Okay. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your father. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. First thing we need to realize is see this entire earth as a wilderness for us. This is not our home. Learn from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob symbolically what it means. They lived in tents, meaning this is not our home. This is a wilderness. And in the wilderness, he will lead you. He will humble you. He will test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know. This is the fifth. What is he doing over there? You should know in your heart. When you're going through all this, believers will say, why is this happening to me? Why is You should know in your heart. As a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. What is he doing you? He's judging you. 
He brought you out of the power of sin. Now he's taking you through this world and he's driving out every sin in you so that you can be ready for another place which is without sin. But if you don't cooperate, he will say you will wander. You will wander. And you will die in the wilderness. And that's what he's talking about. This is what is happening. Judgment begins in the house of God. The world is not being judged. Because in their judgment, there is no profit. There is no hope in their judgment. Our judgment, there is always hope in it. It is because how? How does he judge? As a man chastens his son. That's what the book of Hebrews will talk about. Hebrews, if you go over there, 12, 3 to 6, is actually picked from Deuteronomy 8, 5. And you have to put these two contexts to understand. Okay? Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You need to understand this is exactly what happened with the first generation. They got grew weary and they got discouraged and they started speaking it. And the indictment upon your forefathers discouraged the whole crowd. When we go through this life called wilderness, believers actually, that's the whole problem with the prosperity gospel. It takes God's purpose right out and makes you put you into the temporal. And what happens? People grow weary and they get discouraged. And God says, hey, you haven't even really fought. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving again, sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now if you go to verse same 10 and 11, you will see the two things what he does through his judgment, which is represented by his feet. For indeed, for a few days chastened us, that's our fathers, earthly fathers, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. First, his holiness. Second, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. So two things. One is holiness. Other is righteousness. That is what is shown by his head. And that is the result of his feet. That's the only things we see. After the rest is covered by a robe. We see his head. His head was white and his hair was white as snow. His purity. Where does his purity come from? From his holiness and his righteousness. His, his purity comes. Where will our purity come from? When we are partakers of his holiness and his righteousness. How? When we come under his feet. When we come under our feet. Those who have been trained his judgment. So we should be always be open. Lord, I receive your judgments. Lord, I receive your judgments because I know as a father. Our fathers made mistakes. They did best as they seem. Sometimes they were mad at us. Sometimes they were taking it out on us. But you do not do that. Every judgment of yours is perfect. That's how we have to see it. Okay, That is why we have to endure this word called Endured. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that 
after you have done the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You may receive the promise. For a little while, and he who is coming will not tarry. He will not tarry, and the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul shall not have pleasure. And we are not Meaning, you can draw back from the judgments of God all the way to perdition. Perdition is also judgment. But it's a negative judgment. Judgment, there is positive, which makes you better. Okay? Okay? That is why the old English term for a prison was uh, penitentiary. Penitentiary. You know what? What is penitence? You're doing penance. You're repenting. It was not a place of incarceration so that you will never come out. No. It was a place where you repent and come back as a different person and you could be integrated back into the society. So judgments have to be seen differently. There is a judgment that leads to penitence, penance, purification, or it will lead you to perdition. And that's how you have to see what happens. So you, what the feet means, if you look at Revelation 14 and verses 19 to 20, there are two harvests of, yeah, two harvests. The second is a terrible judgment. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the wine. Before that is the harvest, the final harvest of the earth. And threw it into what? The great winepress of the wrath of God. So he's using an imagery which Israelites understand very well. This huge what is there into which the wine is there. And the winepresser gets into it. Legs are all washed, don't worry. Nicely washed. Because his feet are clean. It's burnished. Meaning his judgment will be absolutely perfect. Nobody will be able to say unfair. And that feet will be the winepress of the wrath of God. And the Bible says, the winepress was trampled outside the city. Blood came out of the winepress with the horse's burden. That's almost four feet. Okay? 1,600 furlongs. So it, when you look at that feet of Jesus Christ, you go through scriptures. You go through scriptures. We will understand, oh my gosh, what does this mean? You go to Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. It is generally talking about man, specifically talking about Jesus Christ. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That is Jesus. What Adam had lost, Jesus by trampling sin and Satan has taken. Everything has been put under his feet. If you come to Deuteronomy 33, okay, 33 we know 1 and 2, listen again, come to verse 33 and verse 3. 33. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. Where do they sit? They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your feet. So there are saints and saints. Who are the saints? Who receives his words? Who are those who sit at his feet? What does feet represent? Judgment and authority. They accept his authority in your life and they accept his judgments and they sit at his feet. 
sit at his feet. I'm telling you, you start working on one aspect of Jesus Christ, you will realize, who is he? Who is he? So you need to understand, why did Jesus say this? One thing will not be taken away from Mary. And you will see, she sat at his feet. She sat at his feet. Okay. When you come to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, this is imputed authority, which is represented by feet. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you. I'm giving you my authority. In your authority, every place your feet tread. So it speaks authority. It speaks judgment. Every place when Joshua is taking a step, what he does is that he executing judgment upon the enemies of God in Canaan. Because the time of the Amorites has come. Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ. But Joshua, what he's doing, he's one, bringing judgment, and second, he's exercising authority. Exercising authority. If you come to Joshua chapter 3 and verse 13, God will say this. Okay? 3 and verse 13. It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, then the waters of Jordan shall be cut off. You need to realize they cannot cross because there is a barrier between them to exercise, bring God's judgment and authority upon this land. But the first part of what will touch is their feet. God says, when your feet touches that waters, you are exercising his judgment and his authority and the waters will part. And you go go through the, the, what the waters do if you go to Ruth chapter 3 and verse 4. Naomi's counsel, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. She said, she said, be very careful. You be there. Wait, 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 wait. When he goes to sleep, wait where he sleeps. And then you shall go in. Uncover his feet and lie down. You know what is she saying? You are telling him, representing him, that I come under your authority and your judgment. That's what he's saying. And he will redeem you. It's a picture of Boaz and Ruth, a picture of Christ and his church. No, we lie at his feet. We go to his feet and he says he will cover us. He will redeem us. We are willing to come under his authority and his judgments. In First Kings chapter 5 and verse 3. You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord is God because of the wars which have fought against him on every side until the Lord put his force under the soles of his feet. Okay, it's a picture. David, Solomon are all pictures. Jesus is David. Jesus is also Solomon. Jesus will bring all his enemies under his feet and then he will give the house to the Father. The house is his church. So in chapter 21, you see the city coming down. That is the house he has built for the Father. And the Father will come and dwell among us after all the enemies are brought under his feet. And John chapter 13, verses 6 to 10. Final lesson. Final lesson. There are two aspects to it. One is service and the other one. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. 
Jesus said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if you do not, if I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, do not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who bathes needs only to wash his feet, but it is, but it is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. What is he talking about? He says, if we do not allow the word of God to continuously cleanse our feet, our judgments will be wrong. Our judgments will be wrong. Our authority will be false. We have to allow God to cleanse the word of God to consistently cleanse us. Because why? We have been called to exercise judgment. He who judges himself will not be. But how do you judge yourself if your feet is not clean? Because your feet represents your spiritual part. That brings the judgment. So he says, if your eye is dark, you know, another place is called, if your eye is dark, then everything you see is dark. Okay, in the same way, your feet. So we need to understand what God is actually talking about here. One That one vision of Jesus Christ, his head, and then you see his feet. And then you come to verse 15, the final one for today. Let's finish with that. Okay? And his voice as the sound of many waters. Okay? These are all describing the creator's body, facets of his character through his creation. Okay? So you will see in all pagan cultures, from Greek to India, all this various manifestation of nature is made it into a god. You have lightning, you have thunder, all are gods, like the fire, sky, everything is into a god. And you, I mean, in their, uh, in their, in some of them were genuine, not all of them, okay? But they were looking at this and they considered, but ultimately these are only manifestations of who he is. So here his voice is called the sound of many waters. Earlier it is like a loud trumpet. Okay? So this is not talking about uh, about loudness. It is talking about majesty. Honestly, if you, I'm telling you, for all that we can see in our earth, our earth, not the universe, the universe we have to look like this so we don't really see on earth. The most majestic of his creation are the oceans. It's unbelievable. There's nothing, no mountain, nothing can compare with the oceans. And two-thirds of the earth is water. You see, I still can never forget my first sight of the ocean when I was five years old. I mean, I, my heart almost dropped. It was like unbelievable to see. You know, Think about the ocean. Think when you stand next to the sea, fair weather, the sound is something else, unceasing sound of the waters. The wind starts. The sound changes. The wind becomes stronger. The roar of the ocean. Okay, There's nothing more majestic, honestly, nothing more majestic than the sound of the waters. It is absolutely majestic. It's also a picture of his judgment. If you have doubts, read Genesis 1 and 2. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Words 1 and 2. This is the beginning. Okay, In between something happened, there was judgment. The earth was without form because of a result of the judgment. 
and void. It was empty. And darkness was on the deep. And the spirit was hovering over the face of the water. There are two things here. One is the Holy Spirit you cannot see. And second, what you can see, the judgment, the waters. It was the voice of his judgment. The voice of his judgment over. That's why when you go to Revelation 21 and verse 1, what do you see? All judgment is over. All judgment is over. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no mercy. Meaning, now in eternity from Revelation 21 onwards, we will never hear the voice of God's judgments. It's over. It's over. Everybody is pure. Everybody is perfect. Judgments are over. There will be healing. There will be consolation and all. Comfort, all that. But there are no more judgments. Because everyone has learned to walk in judgment. There will be no need for God to judge anyone. So that's how Genesis 1 begins with the voice of God. Like a mighty waters of judgment. And it ends with that. Judgment is over. Personally applying in Mark chapter 16. And verse 16. 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. There should be a sound of waters in our life, which is representing us have passed over God's judgment. Now I will never be condemned. I will only be judged for my works for rewards. I never have to fear because I hear the sound of waters. I hear his voice in the sound of waters because I was one who went into the water and came out of the waters. That sound of judgment will not be there in terms of condemnation. What I will hear that day is a voice of his judgment in terms of rewards. Any, much, full or nothing. We will hear. So we will stop there and then we shall go to go to 16 next week. Not next week, on Friday. So all those GDs who are listening, I forgot to announce, this week we will have pastor's conference after a gap of two months. So keep your eyes on Jesus. See how much it makes a difference. No? Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of, the, of our faith. Today we had one small capsule of what he looks like. All our fears will subside, everything. Wow! This is Puis, the ancient of days from everlasting to everlasting, sitting on the throne and says, don't worry, I'm in control. When death has been overcome, the final enemy. Awesome. By human hands, you are not a God dependent on animal to man. You are not God in need of Anything we can give, you are God. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on an immortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we you are God, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You're the only God whose power 
non-can content. Yoli only God will's name and praise will never end. Yoli only God will's worthy of everything we can give. By your plans, that's just the way it is. And you were God alone from four times. Unchangeable, unshakable, you're unstoppable. That's who you are. You're unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's who you are, Lord. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. That's who you are. You were God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You were God alone. Yes, you are God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You were God alone. Now in the good times and bad, you were on your throne. You were God alone. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. How little we truly know about you, Lord, who you are. Who you are, O、oh、God! No wonder, Lord, the saints like David, when they had a glimpse of who you are, wanted to dwell in your house forever, in your presence, and they considered a day in your courts to be worth a thousand elsewhere. But who can dwell in your presence, O、oh、Lord? Who can dwell, Lord? No wonder you told Moses, "No man can see me." That is who you are, Lord, and everything is under your feet, Lord. Help us to believe. When we see things happening all around, O Lord, wicked men and women and dispensation going ahead with their diabolic plans, help us to know you are in control. Good times and bad times, you alone are God. There is no other God beside thee. They're all pretenders and fakes. And one day, all of them, including the Lucifer, the Beast, and the false prophet, and all those who took the mark and served them, will be cast into the lake of fire. 
while your children who endured and came out through the fire will live with you forever and ever. Help us to see the real picture, Lord. It's not as we see now. In a little while, in a very little while, your word says, I will come. And when you come, it is to judge the earth. Touch your servants everywhere, Lord. They're going through tough days, tough times everywhere. From Ace to Penny to RG to Brad, see everyone, Lord. Tough days. Make Sarah. But Lord, I pray they will endure. They will not grow weary. And we are called to endure till the very end. This morning, once again, Lord, new week, new month, with the everlasting God who never changes. Lord, I pray you would go with us, go before your people everywhere, Lord. Touch those who are ill, heal them, strengthen those who are weak, protect those who are under attack, provide for all those who need, for you truly are our everything, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you, Father. We are your children. And therefore, when we are judged, it is as a father chastens his children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Everlasting to everlasting, you are on the throne. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Once again, stand in your house and we declare what is true forever. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.